This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, it's me, Tanner Greenring, podcast host and your friend. I'm here to uh, quickly jump in at the top of this episode to explain that this is the third of three pilots that we put together. If you'll recall, uh, we decided when we ran out of Babysitter's Club books that we would do three pilots to kind of like encapsulate what we hope to accomplish with our fun podcasting projects. And this is the third one. The first one was the Sweet Sweet Valley Boys, our Sweet Valley High podcast. The second one was 1998, the podcast. And this is the third of three. It's called Highbrow Lowbrow. Um, We hope you enjoy it. We will be back to Babysitter's Club Super Specials next week. We only have a few left. So hopefully you enjoyed these pilots. We will make a decision on what comes next after we're out of super special books, and we will go from there. But we hope you enjoy this one. Uh, It's called Highbrow Lowbrow, and it was a lot of fun to do. Okay, that's it. Bye. One of us is really smart and likes to show it off, and the other one is also pretty smart but not so obnoxious about it. Well, it's high, brow, low, brow, it's high, brow, low, brow. Every week we'll talk about something highbrow in a dumb way. Well, it's high, brow, low, brow, it's high, brow, low, brow. Every week we'll talk about something lowbrow in a smart way. Hi, hi. Don't say hi, hi. That's a different show. Low, low. Oh, that's good, though. Yeah. I say hi, I like hi. That. You say low, low. Or okay. wait, which one of us is highbrow and which one of us is lowbrow? We haven't established that yet. I kind of assumed it was obvious. I kind of assumed it were obvious. Were obvious. Uh, you're <laughs> like the dork, brainy dork nerd that no one likes. And I'm like the fun, relatable, cool guy that everyone likes. Okay. So what's the show? Tell us what the show is. This is a new This is a new show. Low, low, and welcome. Yeah. <laughs> to a pilot podcast mm-hmm. for a show we're calling Highbrow, Lowbrow. Mm-hmm. It's an exploration of meta-enabling. Yeah. Who's highbrow now? (laughs) Were you going to bring up meta-enabling? I was thinking about meta-enabling today. Yeah. As I was preparing my thoughts uh, in relation to what we're about to attempt. So yeah, Jack and I have this show called The Babysitter's Club Club. I'm Jack. Oh, I'm Tanner. That's, That's Jack. I'm Tanner. We have a show called The Babysitter's Club Club, which is a podcast in which we discuss the Babysitter's Club books, and we've kind of settled into these characters that are exaggerated versions of ourselves, where Jack is a pedantic know-it-all nerd who can't help but turn everything into an academic discourse, and it's very obnoxious. And I'm kind of like a a fun bad boy who likes to make masturbation jokes (laughs) and kind of turn everything into like a penis or a fart joke Mm -hmm. or... Or some kind of like conspiracy or a far-fetched theory um, based in nothing except my own hubris. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I just threw a vocabulary word at you and you just collapsed. Hubris was not right, no. but I can't think of the right word. <laughs> um, based on my own, own kind of like perspective of the world, which is not based in academia. So what we're doing here is we have each been allowed... To select a text for the other person to inhabit for the first time. Yes. It doesn't always need to be a piece of text. I don't know if by text you mean text in like the... Yeah, I mean text in the... Cosmic sense? In the broader sense. Yeah. Um, So I picked something... But we did happen to both select pieces of text this week. Yeah. Um, I picked something that I think is probably the first time that you've read it, though you might have read it in high school. I feel like most people probably read it in high school English. I read it in high school. Um, I have a I have a story about myself reading that in high school English that I would like to tell. Once I'd we actually announce... do too. Okay, good. Okay, this is a great place to start. So we've each and selected... And I'll go first because mine's very quick. Great. We've each selected a text. We have two total texts. We're going to talk about them both. The text that I have selected is The Wasteland by Thomas Stearns Eliot. Yes. Here's my story about reading The Wasteland for the first time in high school. It's a poem. Okay, I've got one as well. I'll tell mine after you tell yours. It is a poem. Mm-hmm. I read this, this poem mm-hmm. in high school 
and um, forgot it entirely. <clears throat> That's your story? Yeah. Okay. My- Definitely read it. D- no, I read it. Like, I read this. I read J. Alfred Proofrock. I read The Hollow Men. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you really went You went to town on early three of his- Free-Ash Wednesday Elliot. Don't remember a single bit of it. Didn't stick at all. Did you- total blip on the radar. Did you read an essay on it? Did you speak nope. in class about it? Probably. Okay. It was probably, like, some part of a bigger unit about whatever era of poetry this was. Okay, so I read this poem in high school, English class. Edwardian England? When was this when did this when was this written? 20s? Yes. Okay. It's got a lot of lots of World War 1 shit in it. Yes. I assume. Yes. <laughs> it's very difficult to really parse. Yeah, the passage um in the bar. Oh, it's a bar. The one with the ladies gossiping? Yeah. When she's talking okay. about um her I thought it was I thought they were on the phone getting demobbed. Yeah. That means um being demobilized and coming back home. Sent back from war. And he's going to want, you know what he's going to want when he gets back back from war. Is yeah. For her to have nice taste teeth. Of that, <laughs> taste of that lil. Yeah. I thought they were on the phone. I thought it was an operator. Why do you think someone in. kept saying hurry up please it's time? Oh, it I thought a, it was an operator okay. being like you're out of minutes. Okay, that's a, a that would have worked too. It's um, it's a bartender. It's also death. Okay, hurry up, please. It's time. That's what death might say. Is T.S. Eliot from England? Uh, technically, he was not born in England. He was born in Massachusetts. Oh, he's an American. Yeah, in 1888. Cool. Uh, he's English because he does the the two ladies in that passage. Yeah, are very English. Yeah, they're very English. <laughs> I would like to tell you my tale. Please. I read The Wasteland in English class in either junior or senior year, and it changed me. Okay. First of all, like, it's a perfect thing to read as an adolescent. It's like... I've got the mind of an adolescent now. Yeah, so it probably hit you right where you needed to get hit. It's like, got it's got this like kind of angsty vibe. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I love long poems about World War I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how afraid I am of sex. Elliot was notoriously, uh, had issues in that arena. Though, <laughs> he would not like me talking about um, his life and feelings uh, because he doesn't think that the poet has any bearing on the poetry itself. I want to tell you the story. Please. I s- up the text. The poem itself was very affecting to me. I really liked it, and I felt like I was on the edge of like understanding something, but it also felt like this deep puzzle. And the sense of puzzle in the poem became even more clear to me when I read the notes at the end, which are just like, he has like, did you read the notes? No, I was told that they... We're not required reading. Not by me. I would told you the notes are no, super fucking no. important. No, you know who told me they were not required Hugh reading? T.S. Eliot. You should have read the notes. Via Hugh Kenner. You should have read the notes. They're oh, so did. important. I refer to like footnotes every now and then to look up some obscure, dumb, like romantic But you didn't read his own notes. Reference. Okay, all right. So you missed, I would say you missed half of the poem. Okay. Great start. Well, T.S. Eliot said not to read the notes because they're unimportant. But why do you think he put them in? He was forced to fill up. Well, come on, man. Did you read the Kenner essay? <laughs> he had to get to 64 pages for publishing. Uh, what do we call our listeners? Um, brow, brow. There's nothing with brow. Brow beaters? I, I was thinking brow beaters, too, but <laughs> that's not very nice either. <laughs> I want to say brow babies. Um, brow babies is good. <laughs> um, listeners. Um, I also had uh, tender. Wait, what was what is um the the dude who has both boobs and balls? Tiresias, say? and that's the first he, time anyone's described him that way. <laughs> he addresses us, the reader of the poem. Yeah, what does he call us? Does he refer to us? I as Tiresias, anything? old man with wrinkled dugs. That's balls, right? No, that's boobs. Are you sure? I don't like talking about it in this way. I think dugs is balls. Okay, well, I think you're wrong. I can't believe you didn't read the fucking notes. Of course I didn't read the notes. I told man. you to read you, the notes. They're so important. You told me to read the poem ten times. There's, oh, you're right. Utter teat nipple of a female animal. Yeah, of course I'm right. I, got, I thought it was balls. Okay. Anyway, I read the notes in high school when I was assigned this, 
And I saw this as a puzzle. There, It's full of references. And I made it my life's mission or my, my entire college year's mission to be able at the end of my four years of college to read that poem again and know all of the references. And okay. God. that led me down a number of very <sighs> interesting pathways, including, as you will know, the first thing that you read after the title of the poem is... Some Greek shit. It's like Cthulhu talk. It's not Cthulhu talk. It's the epigraph from Petronius. quidam cumis ego ipse oculus mais vidi in ampula pendere et cum illi pueri dicerent. 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 Sibula tithelaeus. You're doing Cthulhu. Responde bat illa. I'm doing the Greek. Apothanein thelo. My point is that I um, also had to learn Greek and Latin. Yeah, I know you know Greek. No, I'm not saying that I know Greek. I'm saying that I know Greek because of this poem. Now, this this inscription at the beginning mm-hmm. is about, and I told you that I was texting about this earlier. Yeah. It's the story of Sybil, right? It's the story of Sybil. Yes. Who, who's so bummed out about the fact that Europe isn't cool anymore. That, no, see, I don't know where you got, I don't know what Wikipedia article you read, because that's just and not. And she's like, it's all about like, she doesn't, isn't Sybil, like, she can't die, right? Yeah, but she's. But she can see the future and all she wants is to die? Yeah, but yes. So what, what the epigraph says, translated, is um, something like, when the boys went to Kumai to see the Sybil hanging in a jar... Um, and they asked her, what do you want, Sybil? And she responded, I want to die. That's what the right. epigraph says. Right. Yes. Because she, cause she sees the future and she's like, oh, Europe is bad now. That's where you're wrong. I don't know where you it's got this It's the nanny from. state. Where did you get this from? It's the wasteland. It's the whole point of the poem. No. Yes. That's not why she wants to die. She wants to die, Tanner. And this will probably have some bearing on uh, the second text that we're going to talk about. Because... She is hanging in a fucking jar. Okay, okay. What does it have to do with the wasteland? I'll tell you. And this is so I haven't finished my story. Oh yeah, finish your story. So by the end, I just think that this is this little passage here is the setup for the entire poem. So the- T.S. Eliot's bummed that Europe sucks now. Sybil is bummed that like the future is bad and like kids like d- aren't cool anymore because they don't like. There's a line swear or smoke in bars. That's not the case. That's I think that that's a, I believe that that's a misreading. The um there's a line later in the poem that refers back to this epigraph. Do you know what it is? Yes, I found it. Say it. Give me a give me a hint on what the thing is uh, and I'll I'll pretend I found it and it's about fear, Tanner. There's also an I'll, here's a hint. There's an Evelyn Waugh novel that is titled after uh, a key phrase in the sentence that I'm referring to. Um, oh, is it the the shadows in the dirt? No. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Of dirt! Oh, dust. <laughs> it is about the shadows in dirt. Um, so the story of the Sybil is that she... That, um, a- she asked someone for... I, I looked it up. Okay. She asked someone for the number of years that she has grains of sand in her hand. Yes, Apollo. Yeah, mm-hmm. the sun god. Right, and he granted it to her, uh, which is a lot of years, almost infinite. But uh, what he didn't grant her was the ability to stay eternally young. And so she just gets like older and weaker and frailer and smaller until by the time of this epigraph, she is hanging in a jar and just wants to die. Where's the jar? Kumai. That doesn't sound very cool. Well, it's in the it's written in the fucking inscription. When the why boys went like, to go see the Sybil hanging in a jar at Kumai. Why not put the jar around someone's neck so she at least like gets a little adventure? <laughs> I'm not sure anyone's like people could pass her. her around. Yeah. That'd be cool. Like you spend five years with this person. Like you go to the top of Everest. Like you go to Vegas for a weekend, you know? Like then at least her eternal life would be interesting. I think the... Okay. The point... If I were one of those boys mm-hmm. who went to see her, I would take her. Yeah. Be like, well, I'm going to show you a good time. 
Sybil. Okay, I, I uh, that's like a really nice sentiment, but the point in the poem is that it's sad and bad, and fe- and af- and she's afraid, and she's yeah, having she's a bad out. time. She's not. I don't know where you're getting she's this from. Bummed out that people can't smoke in bars anymore. <laughs> She's um, bummed out that they took four loco off the market. She sees into the future. She's like, Ugh, oh man, fucking. She's like, there's like, one bright spot. Fucking libs. Yeah. Okay. That's what. So that's who she is in your taking mind. away my like four loco and my guns just because a couple people like, died. What's the point of even fucking living? You yeah. know. And that's what T. S. Eliot is saying in the Wasteland. It's not necessarily. I'm not sure that that's what he's saying. Um, we can get into that, but. Here's the moral of my story. After four years of studying specifically this poem and a great many of the references contained in the poem and asserted in the notes that you didn't read. Yep. Didn't need to. um, I went back and reread the poem. And what I found, Tanner, is that it broadly has the same effect and meaning without knowing the references. Yeah. You know who else said that? Hugh Kenner. Ezra Pound. And Ezra Pound, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I love Ezra Pound. Yeah, yeah. You also made me read this long essay by some dork named Hugh Kenner. Right. Who <laughs> includes like a lot of like <laughs> notes and references from some of T.S. Eliot's contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And one of the bits is from Ezra Pound, who heavily edited yeah. this poem. Yeah. And he says that too. He's like... First of all, there's a bunch of references that you think you're going to need to know that you don't. Just, like, read them in context. Yeah. Like, don't look it up. Just, like, go with the flow. Yes. Second of all, there's a bunch of references to, like, literature and shit. Yeah. That you're going to want to go, like, study and read up on. Don't do that. That's it's not, not what, important. That's, I can't believe that's what you got from it, <laughs> That's that. exactly what he says. No, he's saying... I. Well, here's what he I'm says, saying. Here's what Ezra Pound says. I have not read Miss Weston's Ritual to Romance, and I do not at present intend to. Okay. Well, that's... As to the citations, I do not think it matters a damn <laughs> which is from Day, which is from Milton, Middleton, Webster, or Augustine. Yeah, exactly. I love that you only took one note, and the one note you like assiduously copied down was the one passage that was like, hey, you don't need to do extra reading. <laughs> no, I copied it's under my Ezra Pound seems like a cool dude <laughs> header. Um, he, you know who you are? Who? You're the pre-Raphaelite painter. Ah, yeah. Ezra Pound references a pre-Raphaelite painter. This demand for clarity in every particular of a work, whether essential or not, reminds me of a pre-Raphaelite painter who was doing a twilight scene but rode across the river in daytime to see the shape of the leaves on the further bank, which he then drew with full detail. That's you, That's dork. me. Well, but that's also, that is what I was saying. This is the moral of my story. I do think, and... Eliot talks about this in some of his criticism in relation to Shakespeare in particular. I do think that understanding or having looked up or read the references in context has deepened my appreciation of the poem, but it hasn't changed the meaning of it. And the perfect example of that is something that we've dwelt on a good deal already, which is the epigraph from Petronius. The original epigraph to the poem, Tanner, you will know if you had read the unrevised by Ezra Pound original manuscript. And I assume you have. Yes, of course. Um, the original epigraph before the, the all that like fancy fucking Latin Greek shit about the Sybil hanging in the page is from Conrad's Heart of Darkness. And it's just the horror, the horror. Of that's just the line. It's what Kurt says before he dies. Not being able to gamble anymore or whatever. <laughs> we can't vape in movie theaters now. <laughs> I thought this was 1920s England. <laughs> You're telling me I can't vape in movie theaters? What's the horror? The horror is supposed to mean then? If it's not, what Kurt says. It's what he looks. No, it's what Kurt says. Ezra Pound I've played. Hey, I've played Spec Ops. The line. Does that was that what they say? It's a video game retelling of Heart of Darkness. Oh, really? Where it's like a near-future Dubai that's been consumed by sandstorms and is 
collapsed into an apocalyptic like nightmare landscape. That sounds cool. And at some point, and it's a video game. The reason that Elliot eventually replaced the line from Conrad with the line from Petronius is because Ezra Pound in his edits made a note on the Conrad epigraph saying, I like this, but it's not weighty enough to withstand the citation. So Elliot went and found another reference that just carried with it a lot more heft, a lot more historical weight that was literally and said in the same thing. two other languages from a different right. text, but said the same fucking thing. Which is, the future is scary. I wrote an essay about this that I was going to make you read, but I couldn't. I wasn't at my, it's at my parents' house and I didn't want to call them up and be like, hey, can you, <laughs> can you like go into my like old shit in the attic and scan this essay on the wasteland for Tanner? I also told you I refused to read your thesis about this. Oh, yeah. Because you said you have to read the wasteland and I'm going to send you some supp- supplemental text right. too. And I said, I'm not going to read your thesis. <laughs> but my essay was making the argument that the, like all of the references in this are kind of like a potluck dinner. Where it's okay. like Conrad was in charge of bringing like the hummus, right? But he couldn't make it, so Petronius came and he brought the baba ganoush, and it's like basically <laughs> the same fucking thing. You're getting the same thing out of it. You're getting you know? the same general, or it's like, and that yeah. was your essay. You said that I in? didn't. I didn't say it like that in my essay. I said it way fancier, and I didn't. Use, I didn't talk about any kind of like dips at all. I did say potluck. Here's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to go through this poem. Yeah. So I read this poem several times. Yeah. I listened to T.S. Eliot read it. I appreciate it. I read that. some supplemental texts, both Hugh Kenner's thing and a lot of the like citations and notes to just get my head around like what the fuck T.S. Eliot is talking about. Did you about. also read Tradition in the Individual Talent? I did not. I you did didn't not. do... I read... I spent fucking eight hours reading Green Lantern today, you motherfucker. <laughs> you did the bare minimum. You didn't even read the whole poem. So I want to go through this poem kind of stanza by stanza and break down what I think is happening. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. And you can feel free to interrupt when you need to. I just like, I feel like... I can't imagine I will need to. The brow babies probably want to understand what this poem is about. I love brow babies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, part one, Burial of the Dead. Okay. Here's what I think happens in this first chunk. Great. He's bummed that it's the the narrator who is that don't know yet it's someone who lives in <laughs> germany. in germany okay <laughs> but i'm not even to the germany part yet i'm at the, the no the i know i April's know where you the are month and I just, little life the question of who just troopers. the question of who the narrator is is a fairly central question but anyway please right well later on it's the guy with the balls and the boobs i teresius old man with wrinkled dugs but right now it's marie who lives in Germany. Right. At some point, it's briefly Marie, yes. So anyway, he's bummed it's spring for some reason. Yeah. Well, so the, the first line is one of the most famous lines in literature. April is the cruelest month. Um, and the reference there is to the... Chaucer. Right. The first line... Looked uh, it up. Okay. Good. The Canterbury Tales. But it's a subversion of Chaucer. Because normally spring spring is nice. Chaucer likes spring. Yeah, as do most. It's a time of... um, Of life. Rebirth. Rebirth and people and animals having happy, fulfilling sex that leads to enrichment and renewal. And babies. Yeah. Uh, Unlike anything that happens in this poem. No, there's lots of bad sex. Yeah, there is. (laughs) So yeah, the so spring is a bummer. It's just a reminder of death and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Then we have this part where this woman is... In Germany. Uh-huh. Didn't really get that. Okay. She's not Russian, but she is Lithuanian. Is that what that meant? Um, I, I tried to look up this bit of German. Binga, Kaina, Russian, Stamm, Aus, Litauen, Echte Echte Deutsch. Deutsch. Yeah. So she's not Russian, but she is something. And she's a friend. Her cousin is an archduke. Uh-huh. And they go sledding, and she goes south in the winter, and she reads a lot. Right, and I think it's prob- this is probably a fairly trite thing that someone might say. In the mountains there, you feel free. The mountains of Germany? Uh, yeah, I think that's where she's talking about. Okay, next bit. Mm-hmm. Branches that grow, stony rubbish, son of man, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so this is the thing you were talking about before. It's like a Mad Max kind of thing mm-hmm. where... And this is where we get the line, I will show you fear and a handful of dust. Right, so, th- so 
Earth has been decimated by, I assume, World War One, and everything is desert, and all that exists is your shadow before you in the morning and your shadow behind you at night. Well, the wasteland is also um, Arthurian. Okay. So that's probably in there as well. And then there's this girl with the hyacinths. Mm-hmm. Um, I read something that said that that is... Sexual. Oh, sorry, I didn't read something. Oh, it's sexual. Mm-hmm. Hugh Kenner says it's Ophelia. Yep. That Well, Ud, so, Ud, she says... Um, yeah, the, her, the little like weird bits of German are, are what she sings to herself in Hamlet when she's kind of going crazy and about to die. So th- this is a poem that it's it's a wasteland. Everyone's in the desert all the time, and but there's lots of talk of water and rain, but it's always like in the distance or something that someone is dying of in the background right. or in the past. But yeah, and then later, like it, it's coming up, but there's like water and the ocean becomes this like oppressive force that everyone just kind of kills everyone. Kind of. Then we've got M- Madame So So Stress, mm-hmm. famous clairvoyant. Um, she has a cold, but she's still good at doing readings. So this, from here on out, the poem kind of becomes her about her and her readings a little bit. Her yeah, tarot deck. Yeah, she brings up a lot of Arthurian stuff with her tarot deck. She's talking to us. She she brings up a bunch of stuff. She talks about a drowned Phoenician. She talks about all sorts of stuff. The narrator is happy to not be offered the hanged man. I do not find the hanged man. Fear death by water. Crowds rocking. Crowds walking around in a ring keeps happening over and over again, too. Yeah, I think it's probably the dull oppression of urban life. Okay. So, tarot card deck reading. Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Unreal City is about... London, after the war, and everyone is dead, and this dude like meets his neighbor, Stetson. He's like, hey, Stetson, yeah, uh, you buried a body in your garden. Is it going to turn into a body tree soon? Yeah. And Stetson's like, shut up, man. Yeah, I think they... Well, that's not quite what Stetson says. He says, you, hypocrite lecteur, mon semblable, mon frère, which is from Fleur de Mal by Baudelaire. It's a direct ripoff. He does a lot of direct ripoffs. Yes. T.S. Eliot. Yes. Yeah, so they have this weird co- little com- convo about, like, planting. It sounds like the kind of conversation you would have with, like, your neighbor, like, in, like, Home right. Improvement or something. Right. Doesn't he talk to the guy over the neighbor the fence and they talk about... Yeah, it's, it's Wilson. Yeah, so it's like that. It's supposed to conjure yeah. up that image, but the thing that they have planted is a corpse. Right. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not clear whose corpse. Yeah, no. But just a corpse. Yeah. And Stetson does not seem thrilled to be confronted about this. Mm-hmm. And then we're in... That's it. That's the whole first part. Yeah. Now we're in part two, Game of Chess. Mm-hmm. Do you like this one? So this we've talked no. about already a little bit. You didn't like this one. It's deliberately... I thought it was fine. I like the bar scene. Yeah, the bar scene is good. And the, the opening scene is sort of deliberately... Like the language is gilded and precious, and all of the yeah, there's things two... that, are de- that are described are like synthetic and fake and like right. golden but empty. There's two things happening in this uh-huh. chapter. One is a rich lady like is getting ready for sex with a dude who's like only concerned with like bones and rats and death. Kind of, yeah. And then the second part is, as we've talked about, these two ladies in a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh who are gossiping about their third friend whose husband is coming home from the war, but she's ugly and her body's been like wrecked by abortion drugs. Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't there a um, Michael Jackson song? Abortion Papers? That was oh, his... I think you're thinking of um, Brick by Ben Folds 5. No, they're the last like posthumous Michael Jackson song, which never got famous because it is, I think it's called Abortion Papers. <laughs> I don't think that's real. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep talking about... So there's this there's this lady. She's rich. She talks about... This is where Philomel first comes up. So this lady is, like, living this fancy life surrounded by, like, these empty trinkets. Um, and she brings up Philomel. Yeah, it's called Abortion this. Papers. And it's so catchy. I'm not... <laughs> but it was never famous because it's, like, such a weird... Yeah, it sounds like a bad song. Bad concept. <laughs> She brings up Philomel. Philomel's this this character of legend who is raped by her brother. Um, they're probably related. It's the King Terius, and that comes up again. Um, so, I, sex in this poem is always bad. 
Yeah, sex um, is bad. It's it's either like in the 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 hurry up please it's time passage which you like. It's like like they talk about aphrodisiacs a lot. Like oh you right. should take aphrodisiacs or like abortion pills. Um and then in the references to antiquity it's all these like rapes. Um and then there's a later passage where they're in a boat and maybe a rape happens. Um and Oh yeah, definitely. Um and you then, mean the part where like the guy's being very aggressive the typists. Yeah. And then there's a passage as well where this like banker I think that's probably the most like interesting and viscerally like present passage is when this like carbuncular old bank like oh, no, middle aged banker like like just kind of pause at his way with pause at his wife and she's like and now that's done and i'm glad it's over yeah that one's pretty good that's in my favorite section section three but that's next nobody has a good time in the wasteland that should have been the epigraph nobody has a good time nobody has a nice time yeah okay so then hugh kenner says that whole section is actually about chess the ladies in the bars are pawns the woman in the with the riches riches is the queen and the dude who's obsessed with rats and bones who won't bone down with her is the king elliot in reciting this poem always added an extra line in these chessmen make company between us uh, which is not in the actual poem and was taken out in an edit by his wife vivian okay who probably thought that it was a little bit too close to the bone even though all of this passage is too close to the bone they had a very 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 unhappy marriage okay he eventually put her in an insane asylum fun yeah and then everyone says good night at the end of the night when the bar closes uh-huh. that's nice they say good night ladies good night sweet ladies good night good night which is what hamlet says which is that's from hamlet says yes uh fire sermon my favorite part when everybody's dying well, it's it's pretty wild because it starts with a dude sitting by a river fishing and singing, and then he has gay sex, mm-hmm. and then everyone dies, <laughs> and then Teresius watches this like sexual assault happen, mm-hmm. and then everyone dies more, mm-hmm. and then there's some poems within the poem, uh huh, and then this is great. This is a great Saint Augustine gets plucked to heaven by God, according to kenner oh lord thou pluckest me out oh lord thou pluckest yeah that is something that augustine says yes okay good nailed it i'm glad you read your hugh kenner do you, uh, am i or am i not right that that is a pretty that's a pretty useful way into the poem that little piece of good. criticism yeah yeah the cliff notes in this ibooks version i had too the the um footnotes mm-hmm. were also very helpful that's good i wouldn't have known that this guy at the beginning of this chapter went to do have like a gay tryst at a paris Oh, right. Hotel. It's kind of winky. It's not Mr. Eugenides. Yeah. Yeah. He asked me in demotic French to luncheon at Cannon Street Hotel, followed by a weekend at the Metropole. What do you think that's about? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pretty wild time to me. Okay, cool. Then everybody dies in the water. And then everyone dies in the water. This is the part. I like chapter three because it's rhymey yeah. in a nice way. Okay. Uh, iambic pentameter is that it yeah so he has these two so the he has 25 lines of of like perfectly manicured iambic pentameter that is not quite two sonnets but is kind of like two sonnets and so he's using this form that's normally like for kind of prim and proper love songs to tell the story of this like pimpled old like clerk who comes home and paws at his wife right um and then they they have a very unsatisfying experience and she says i'm glad it's over yep then she she smooths her hair with automatic hand and puts a record on the gramophone which is a lovely touch because her hand is doing the same thing that the gramophone arm is doing oh lovely yep chapter four death by water is the shortest one it's essentially just yellow Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just like we're all gonna die you're just going to be like Phlebas here, drowning eternally, f- bones being eaten at by fish. Like, good luck. Chapter okay. five is the last chapter, What the Thunder Said, and it's like, it's a, it's just like apocalyptic. And what does the thunder s- say? The thunder said, da. Yes. Da. Da. <laughs> it's all about these big cities crumbling and being rebuilt and crumbling and being rebuilt. Um, yep. It's also about the Fisher There's King. Church. It's also about rain that never comes and i had to look up the fisher king yeah 
Surprise, surprise, it's about fertility. <laughs> yeah, but it's also this Arthurian. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Fisher King, for the, for you brow babies who are not in the know, is a, is a myth about this king mm-hmm. whose wiener gets mutilated, mm-hmm. and he is unable to restore his kingdom to its former glory until his wiener is good again. Mm-hmm. So everyone goes out and tries to fix his wiener. Yeah. Um, I sat upon the shore, fishing with the arid plain behind me. Shall I at least set my lands in order? That's something I say to myself all the time. Shall I at least set my lands in order when I'm like, want to go to bed, but I haven't done the fucking dishes. Right. And your penis is all broken and shriveled off. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it ends on a note of hope. Ends on a note of hope. Possibly. Shanti. 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 Shanti, which you'll know from your Madonna. I'll know from my Hugh Kenner means peace. The peace which passeth all understanding. So that's nice. Yeah. Lovely. Well, I think that, that we've fully tackled that poem. Yeah. Um, I talked I about the so main too. thing that I wanted to oh, talk about. Whoa, okay. whoa, whoa. What? I'm looking at my iBooks version of this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of book left after the poem. Okay, let's talk about that because you fucking didn't read it. He ends with these notes, which are maybe a joke. <laughs> are they? <laughs> Okay, it's actually not that many. There's also like a a 40-page afterword. It's just like four pages of notes, which is actually where I found some of the references. So everybody's like obsessed with the notes, and Ezra Pound talks about this, and Hugh Kenner talks about this. Hugh Kenner speculates, and I think it's probably true, that the reason for the notes was that the poem is like 19 pages, but traditionally a book of that size needed to be at least 32 pages. Right. And so Elliot just like... (laughs) wrote down some extra shit to fill right. out the end of it. Um, but they've like... Well, and Elliot himself is like, hey, can we just forget about the notes? Like, it was kind of like a thing I just did, and now it's become like a thing, and I don't want... I'm not interested in the notes. It is, but it isn't. Like, he also, like, he wants you to know the references, and he also wants you to... Like, he steals lines outright from other poems. Right. And he wants you to know that he knows that. Right. But also a lot of people think that the notes are like just like randomly chosen. Like he talks about like the sound of the bells in a church for like a paragraph. Yeah, there's a whole church at the end yeah. that I didn't get. They keep talking about this church and this Well, there's this a church there's a chapel in the in the rooster that like the lives Grail there. Quest. That's that's the Grail Quest. Oh. Oh. So the church has the Grail in it? Uh yes. Okay. Or not. Um, but yes. And the whole point of that is like no one gives a shit about it. Well, it's it's like about... in the mountains and long forgotten. Yeah, and you're just looking for stuff, and and then there's this like old knight, and he's like, "Which cup do you want?" And it's like, "Don't pick the nice one." No, you pick the bad one. Jesus was a carpenter. We all saw. Yeah, yeah. Last Crusade. Yeah, Tanner, we have been talking about this for a while, and well, it's a dense text. Yeah, and I could talk about it probably for a long while more. But are you proud of me? Are you proud of my recap? Yeah, I thought you nailed it. Okay, uh, I liked it. You liked I'll it. I'll say. Did you? You enjoyed I loved it. it. Yeah, I thought it was a very good poem. It's good, right? I didn't understand it the first time I read it. I didn't even try. I was just like, I'm just going to read <laughs> these words. Yeah. But then I read it again and again. You know what really helped mm-hmm. was going to Spotify and finding um, the recording of T. S. Eliot reading it. Yeah. Because he puts like all the emphasis and pauses in the right places. Yeah. I also weirdly listened to Alec Guinness read it. Yeah, that's probably Obi Wan Kenobi m- himself. More listenable. Because <laughs> Elliot has this like he he has this like almost Greek chorus sing song style. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots. With spring rain, but it's good. Yeah, it, it's it good. helped a lot because like good. the little singy parts where the the sirens of the Thames are like singing. Right, he sings it, and it's like, oh, okay, that's what that's supposed to sound yeah. like. It's good. It's. Good. I recommend brow babies when you go read this, mm-hmm. read along with T. S. Eliot reading it. Good poem, best poem. Not my favorite Eliot poem, but certainly my way into Eliot, and certainly one of my favorite poems of all time. Yeah. Which is the one that's about, um, not with a bang, but a whimper? That's the hollow man. Okay. Yeah. I kept expecting that in this one, and when it didn't come, I was like, oh, wrong poem. There's so much famous shit in here, though. 
Yeah. Um, something I say all the time is in here, and I'm sure you picked up on it. We are all dying oh, with a little patience. Surely. Oh, you do say that a lot. Yeah. Actually, there were several things that I like. I know as like things you say. Yeah. That now I know you've just lifted from Elliot, who probably lifted it from like Chaucer. Yeah, often. And uh, Elliot has a line in Four Quartets that also uh, sticks in my head. My words echo thus in your mind. <laughs> okay. You want to take a break? Yes, we'll take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about... Well, let's talk about uh, the aerial poems by Elliot. Let's not. Let's talk about my thing instead. Okay, bye. I'm a big nerd, and yep. you're a dumb idiot. Yep. And I pick a big nerd thing for you to say dumb idiot shit about, yep. and you pick a dumb idiot thing for me to say big nerd shit about. But the yep. joke's on you, because as a big nerd and a lit major... I believe that all texts are valid and no text is a dumb idiot text. All texts are big nerd texts. So haha jokes on you, you Well lose. jokes on you too, because as uh enthusiast <laughs> and, f- and fan, mm-hmm. I can find enjoyment in anything. Okay. Well, jokes on you though, mostly. No? Because like you still had to do work, whereas like I just read a nice poem. <laughs> I read a fucking, I was like, I had texted you at some point today and was like, are these all the same length? Because Jesus Christ, they just, <laughs> they are long. Keep on going. So, Brow Babies, it's my part of the podcast now, um, the low brow section. I, this week, chose for Jack the first three trade paperbacks of Jeff John's run of the Green Lantern my favorite comic book series of all time. Yes, and this is presumably your favorite run. Of well, your it's favorite the series. it's the beginning of my favorite run. Okay, Jeff Johns had a very very long and prolific run on Green Lantern. Okay, Jeff Johns is now currently, I think, maybe the executive editor of DC Comics. Like okay, he essentially, just runs the entire thing. They were like, "You did such a good job with this very confusing." thing um (laughs) he's done a very good job with a lot of things but yes i made jack read three trade paperbacks which i believe is 15 to 20 individual comic books okay it was a lot they kept on going i didn't know anything about the green lanterns except what i've told you because you and i have been friends for the better part of 10 years you often talk about them and i talk about that a lot yeah, and I but I now understand them in a deeper way, I think. Right. I didn't realize that you could be all the Green Lanterns at once. I thought you could only be one Green Lantern at once. But this was like, he was like, no, why not have all the Green Lanterns at once? Yes, this is a thing about the Green Lanterns, is they patrol Sector 2814 of space. <laughs> all of space is broken up into... A bunch of different sectors. Okay. And Earth happens to exist in this sector called 2814. 2814. Okay. Each sector has a Green Lantern assigned to it. Do you? But you don't necessarily get Earth if you're an but, Earth Green Lantern. Well, you'd get Earth and everything else in sector 2814. Okay. Okay. But as you know, mm-hmm. Earth is buck wild. Yeah, it's crazy. We got all sorts of shit happening here. We got Superman... We've got the Flash. Brow babies, this motherfucker. I was not expecting this. I, I, I imagine that many of you are, um, I don't know, fall into different camps on different areas of the spectrum. Some of you will have been like, "Yeah, I already know all that shit about the wasteland," and some of you are going to be like, "Yeah, I've already read Jeff Johns's arc, and I knew that he was the executive director." Uh, but for me, and for I suspect many of you, it will be a surprise to learn that like all of the superheroes all live together yes. in this, and like Batman's in it, and yep. Superman's in it, and like there's one scene early on that I was just like, wait, what? But like Superman's like, hang on, I'm getting a phone call, and he like pulls out his phone and he's like, oh, Wonder Woman, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and to make matters worse, so there's a bunch of Green Lanterns. Yeah. Is my point. Because there needs to be. Because Sector 2814 is complicated and Earth is complicated. So we've got Hal Jordan, we've got Guy Gardner, we've got Jon Stewart, and we've got Kyle Rayner. Yeah. 
But also, I had to old timey Green Lantern is there. Yeah, I had to like. I was like Alan Scott. For, at first, I thought they were all the same man because they all wear green and they all have a black mask. No, and so that was confusing. And then I then I started googling them to be like, is there a Green Lantern that sometimes flies into the sun? And then well, like that's Google Google was like, oh yeah, obviously Hal Jordan. <laughs> so maybe what's you would be useful. I. I have some thoughts about this. About well, I want to know who your favorite Green Lantern is first. Okay, because this is important because it says a lot about a man. Okay, there is one Green Lantern whose name is Guy Gardner, and his thing is that he's a fratty asshole. Yep, he's a dick, and he likes to be in frats, and he's like doesn't listen to what you're saying, and he's one of these people. He's got a bowl cut, and he wears a vest. Who's like probably kind of fun when he's talking, and then when you're talking. You're like, oh, you're not. You've stopped paying attention, and that's not fun for me. He's that kind right. of guy. Yeah. Then there's another guy he called Hal Jordan, who's like, like a square, like dad, dad, dadly dad vibes, like airline pilot, handsome, high school sweetheart. But yep. but that's wrong type of dude. Yep. And then there's this dope fucking Green Lantern, who's the <laughs> the fucking top notch. Badass, good, fun, interesting, charismatic. Uh, Green You're the Lantern. only person in the world whose favorite Green Lantern is Kyle Rayner. Called Kyle Rayner, who's like didn't necessarily want to be a Green Lantern, and he's like an artist. He's an artist, yeah. But they picked him, and everyone's like, "Why did you get to be a Green Lantern?" The thing about all the Green Lanterns is they're Freddy assholes who don't know fear, and you are afraid, like any normal person would be. And then it turns out that the, his fear is important, which I think is right. some connective tissue between our two texts here. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Uh, I liked him. I thought he was cool and interesting. He's the only Green Lantern. Like, the thing about Green Lanterns, from what I can understand, is that they, like, they're chosen because they, like, f- the fear centers of their brain are, like, smaller than most people, and so they just have, like, limitless courage. They're just, they like, have courageous. They tons of willpower and courage, and they overcome great fear. I, like, I want to, when we have a, a chance to talk about this particular text in terms of both Aristotelian and Kantian conceptions of virtue okay and i think that that like the courage like the too much courage thing is very aristotelian and i think what kyle rayner is is he's like courage tempered with fear which is more of a golden mean it's like better like if you're too brave you're just reckless right and that's what hal jordan is and and guy yeah and you forgot a lantern too which is john stewart He's cool. Okay, he's pretty like in he's fairness, kind of just like a fuddy duddy. Your guy Jeff Johns mostly forgot the Black Lantern. As yeah, well. he's so he shows up. He doesn't like do anything that moves the story in any way. He does kind of rage in the the first arc yeah. Uh, yeah. rebirth and kind of goes like loses his mind a little bit. But yeah. so does Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner at the beginning of these books is a superhero called the Warrior who has these powers where he can transform his flesh into anything. Okay. And he also kind of like loses his mind. So John Stewart is most famous from the DC animated series. So like DC is good at putting out these kind of like regularly released animated movies that are like very beloved that people really love watching and they kind of have like a fandom all their own. Okay. And they use John Stewart as the main Green Lantern. So that's where he kind of really shines. Okay. Well, he was barely in this. Like he's only in the first one. He's not in the in the. He made me read three of these. He's only right. in the first of the three. I think it might be useful for me to just try to describe these. Okay, so I made you read eighteen comics. I think it was a lot. It took a long. I would say it took me an hour for each of the three. So it was three yep. hours of reading. Yep. I had ver- vastly different reactions to them in the sense that I really I uh, I want to describe them and you can correct me. Okay, I'm happy. To. I don't want to spend too much time getting bogged down in the description, but I think it might be useful. As you described the I poem I made you read, I would like, and I glossed it, I would like for you, for you to gloss my description of yep. these texts. Um, I will say that I thought that the first of the three was a masterpiece. That's strange to me because I agree. I think yeah. it's a beautiful run of comics. Yeah. But it's by far the most confusing yeah it is it is the end of a saga it is the end of the hal jordan saga whereas the second book yeah the other two were cleaner no fear is like a reboot yeah 
Um, and so is so is Recharge. Yeah. Recharge is also a reboot. Okay, so the first one is the one that I found most interesting. Hal Jordan is the main Green Lantern. He got inhabited by a monster called Parallax, which is the monster that is fear, the embodiment of fear in the universe. And it got a way into him when someone called Mongol destroyed his hometown. Well, Mongol sort of did, but it was really Cyborg Superman. But go ahead. Okay. There's a Cyborg version of Superman (laughs) who's evil. Okay, good. And he destroyed Coast City. Great. Um, Hal Jordan eventually got consumed by this parallax creature and became like this retributive evil, like I'm going to destroy the world type of dude. But in a moment of altruistic goodness, he like sacrificed himself in some way. And he restarted the sun, restarted the sun. And then guess what? He gets inhabited by this other being called Spectre, which is the Spectre. Right. And so the thing about the Spectre, and this is what I found most fascinating about this initial text, is it is a graphic disquisition on the difference between retributive and redemptive justice. Okay. Now I'm interested. Yeah. Now you're finally interested in the Green Because the, the Spectre yeah. is a good guy right. in, in quotes, mm-hmm. but kind of a dick. Here's a quote that Guy Gardner says about Hal Jordan, Tanner. Yeah. We never saw eye to eye, and unless you're looking at history through rose-colored lenses, neither did the both of you. You know who famously looked at history through rose-colored lenses? Elton John? Kant. Oh, okay. Rose-tinted glasses? Is that a Kant quote? It's a reference to Kant, and it's not a reference to the part of Kant that I want to talk about. Kant, like Kant's idea of justice is that if there was like a cataclysm, like for instance, Cyborg Superman. If there were a cataclysm, like Cyborg Superman killing Sea City or whatever it is, Coast City. Okay, Sea City's from Babysitters Club universe. No parallels. Um, there actually might be a Sea City in DC too. Okay. The first thing that you would have to do is go find the jails and execute all the prisoners on death row. Okay. Why? Because, like, justice is absolute. Like, it's just, That's the specter. That's the specter. That's a Kantian yeah. view of justice. This, like, right. retributive view of justice. And it's not, like, it's not bad. It's, like, I think it's alien to most of us, but it's not. It's certainly alien to Hal Jordan. Right. Hal Jordan has a more redemptive view of justice. And then this parallax creature, like, has this has a, a completely different view that's like more chaotic that's on the further end of the spectrum right um so i found parallax it parallax is the only thing parallax concer- is concerned with is fear it's creating fear right um so i thought that th- that's why i liked this run more than the other ones which were just fun stories is this like triune like this trinity right so how jordan exists is- inside how jordan is he's fighting between himself between right. this like retributive like vengeance being and this like this just like evil fear being I'm not sure we've said this yet brow babies but Hal Jordan in this run is struggling with the fact that he contains three beings right his his one body contains three beings right. parallax Hal Jordan and the specter right and it's this whole series is a is a fight between those three beings right it's really interesting it's about uh, the internal struggles that we have ourselves. It brings in philosophical questions about what justice is and what it means to enact justice. And Batman's in it. Batman's in it. So do you know Batman? Yeah. You know his whole thing. Uh, they don't seem to like each other. Oh, Batman is fear, right? Batman is fear. Right. And that's why they don't like each other. So None of the Green Lanterns like Batman. Right. That's like a thing. Yeah. Because cause he's fear. And fear. Because he's fear. So this is a, another thing that I liked about the Green Lanterns that I didn't expect is it's like these are bo- these are books that seem to be about like boys, even the bad boys, like the fratty ones, like boys, yeah. like kind of dealing with and confronting their feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jeff Johns is so good at that. I like, thought that's that was really nice. Thing. Like the thing about like the Green Lantern universe, I think it t- 
ties different colors to different like emotions. And so that's that's the later Jeff John stuff, and that's okay. when Jeff John really heats up. Okay, and it, he gets into it a little bit here. Like parallax is is this being of like yellow energy. Yeah, and yellow is fear, and green is like will, um, right. which is not really an emotion, but um, it's like it's this feeling of self. I think of self confidence and like right. optimism. Right. Um, but so some of these frat boys confront their feelings of optimism, which isn't that difficult to do. But some of the more interesting frat boys, like this Kyle Rayner character, like their optimism is tinged with fear and self-doubt. And th- that's why they're able to like be the ones who actually save the world when the Hal Jordans go crazy. Well, you'd be glad to hear that Kyle Rayner goes on to have a pretty spectacular run. Okay. So he ends up becoming a lantern of every color of the spectrum in a later series called the new guardians. Yeah. And then he becomes a godlike character and a white lantern. Oh, okay. Which commands the power of life. And he's good at drawing. And he's good at drawing. And so here's something you didn't mention is all of the green lanterns. So green lantern is a superhero who can use a power ring to make hard light constructs out of green light. Mm -hmm. And each of the lanterns does hard light constructs differently. Okay. Hal's are often jet based. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a fighter pilot. I don't love this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Guy gardeners are often like bro based. Like he just like does big (laughs) punching gloves. Yeah. 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 Brown babies, you can see why. Like it's not crazy that I picked the (laughs) the guy who's like his things like the way that he does his hard light constructs is that he like he he like sketches them sketches them out yeah in like uh, in the air yeah and then John John Stewart is an architect so he like builds things yeah all of his are very like he's my second favorite lantern well my second favorite lantern is like is him and then my close third favorite lantern is like some of the cool animals that we meet in the next books yeah most of the lanterns aren't from earth they're from other planets and some of them are cute animals and they're cute right like there's a squirrel lantern. Yeah, I like the squirrel um, one. There's Kilowog, who's kind of like the, the cool bad boy instructor on Oa. Yeah, he's a sweetie. The planet of the lanterns. Yeah. So yeah, so this is a turning point in the lantern universe where Hal comes back. The Green Lanterns before this were sort of like dispersed and and done away with, but Hal comes back. He saves the Guardians, which are these like big headed blue elf creatures who live on another planet. Yeah. And then they re they restart the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, and that's what the next books are about. The the first one I read, I th- so I'm not going to dwell on them as as much as I have this one because I thought this was the most interesting like this his this battle between these like different like parts of the emotional spectrum inside himself. I thought were really interesting, especially for this like doofusy jet pilot frat boy to kind of confront that. I thought that was interesting. The next ones are in order in just one sentence each. They fight a big old shark man in the sea. Yep. <laughs> That's a good. And then they go to the planet of the vegans. In <laughs> <laughs> the third one. And yeah. The, and the vegans are bad at spiders, but they kill them. Yeah. yeah. They blow up a sun and they kill a bunch of spiders. Yeah. And in the planet of the vegans, there's this guy who I want you to call me, um, whose name is Bullfunga the Unrelenting. <laughs> Well, if this is the pilot that we end up going with, yeah, I will refer to you exclusively as Bullfunga the Unrelenting. Yeah, okay. So what character from uh, TSLH The Wasteland would you like me to refer to you as? I was going to call you... Balls in the the Dugs? Tiresias. I want to be Tiresias. Okay, that's cool. I could call you Madame Sesostris, famous clairvoyant. She has a cold, but she's still pretty good at at tarot with her wicked deck. Uh, yeah, exactly. She's like, a oh, of course ma- he's from, card. of course he's from Massachusetts. Oh yeah, T. S. Eliot. Yeah, ah, she's got a wicked deck. I got a wicked deck. Um, <laughs> Do you want to say anything about else about the Green Lantern? My favorite's Guy Gardner. I have no apologies for that. Um, I want he's to my know Green Lantern from you, and I want you to tell the brow babies. Like I, I gave... was hoping you'd find some justice. I was hoping you would dig into this and find some like academic bullshit i thought the spectrum stuff would be good the emotional spectrum Mm -hmm. but that comes a little later Mm -hmm. um but the justice stuff is good the justice stuff is conflict with these three personas is good 
I have one other thing I want to ask you about very quickly. Okay. So everyone in DC Comics experiences a parent's death, and that's kind of the thing that drives them along. Oh, yeah. Everybody has that. Superheroes. Yeah, I noticed that. A lot of parents' deaths in this. It's true of Hal Jordan oh, wait, as well, who watches dad his dad. A lantern? No, Hal's dad is just a, a test pilot who he, he watches He wasn't die. a lantern? Okay. No. All right. Dad gave me his jacket to hold on to. He always said you could read a man's integrity by the way he wore his jacket. He had it high on his shoulders, close to his neck, but open, ready to offer it to anyone who needed it more than him. I hoped one day it would be mine. I wished for it. Okay. How do you wear your jacket? I wear jorts and a tank top. Oh, you live in Austin. Because I live in Austin. Right. But if I were to wear a jacket, I think think that's... That's there's something nice about that, like what it says about you. I think that it's. I'm worried I'm not Green Lantern material because, like, my jacket was expensive. Not expensive, but like, I don't want to buy a new jacket. I would think that it's difficult to wear your jacket in a way that signals you're willing to give it away if someone wants it. Right. And I also think that that's maybe performative in a way that obviates the intent of right being genuinely altruistic which there's is only like, so many times you can like go to like take off your jacket like oh do you uh, okay yeah oh uh, like uh, nobody uh, uh, yeah nobody likes the guy who's like always like <laughs> offering you need, his ja- oh, oh oh no okay oh okay. no okay okay, it's okay. Fine. yeah yeah no yeah. exactly well he's dead so yeah r.i.p i told the brow babies like my origin story in regard to the wasteland and t.s Eliot. I would like for you to explain. You don't have to have an interesting origin story necessarily, but I want you like it's clear that the Green Lantern towers above all the other many comic book characters that you've interacted with and read. I want you to tell the Brow Babies and me like what it is specifically about Green Lantern. Like what is it about this character that it's, is so important to you? I didn't know this character very well. My dad was a big Batman guy. So, like, I grew up with DC Comics, and I read Superman, and I read Batman, and I knew of Green Lantern, but, like, he was just kind of a dude. But then, one day, I was working at a major media company Mm -hmm. and got an invite to go interview these two dudes who worked at DC Comics, who I didn't know anything about. And their names were Jeff Johns, and Jim Lee. Okay. And I went to DC Comics headquarters, and we sat down, and it was super cool, and it was like, oh, wow, this is the coolest place I've ever been. Like, we're at DC Comics headquarters. And I sat down in a conference room with these dudes called Jim Lee and Jeff Johns, and we just talked about, like, comic books and the Green Lanterns for a while, and I was like, oh, aren't Green Lanterns, like, especially susceptible to yellow? And Jeff Johns was like, well, come on, that's not true anymore. Like, you got to like catch up with the comics, all this stuff. And we just had like a good conversation and a good, like fun interview. And I went back to the office and wrote it up and whatever. And I was like, Oh, I should like look these dudes up and like looked it up. And this was like 2008. And it was like two years after these comic books started coming out. And I was like, just got hooked. I was like, I'm going to read Jeff Johns. Like this guy, Jeff Johns, I'm going to read Jeff Johns. And now like Jeff Johns has become this powerhouse at DC Comics. Jim Lee is literally one of the most respected like comic book artists of all time. Um I liked you know? it a lot. I like I've read I haven't read many comics and usually when I read comics it's like for the first time and usually at your pushing. <laughs> so it'll just be Well, like... usually when I read T.S. Eliot it's for the <laughs> first time and it's at your pushing. So um but I really enjoyed it. I particularly like the first one. I like the first one more, and I know it was vastly more complex. I think the complexity is what I liked about it. Like, I followed it despite its insane complexity. I was like, why the fuck is Wonder Woman in this? But, like, you would love Blackest Night and Brightest Day then, because, yeah. like, it's this whole story about the battle between life and death, and all the color spectrum gets involved. And, like, Black Hand becomes the Black Lantern and raises the zombie corpses of a bunch of dead superheroes to <clears throat> fight for his army of dead. Jesus. And it's really good. Um, we didn't get to talk about Green... What's his name? Green Arrow? He looks like he's like cosplaying as Robin Hood. He is not Well, cool. you know that the CW series, Arrow, is Green Arrow, right? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. Is there anything else that you would like to say about either of these two texts? Wasteland is good. T.S. Eliot's good. Go read it. Yeah. It's going to be confusing at first, but just like stick with it. 
and read it a couple times and listen to T.S. Eliot read it because it really br- brings it to life. Yeah, he, he, he really kills it with his reading. Um, it's Green not- Lantern is incredible. It's my favorite comic book in the world, and I love a lot of comic books. Um, Jeff Johns is, is a genius. Cool. I liked it. Um, this has been a pilot episode of a show tentatively and provisionally called Highbrow Lowbrow. Okay. I well, I'm making the cover for the fucking podcast, so it's definitely called Highbrow Lowbrow. Well, if we do a whole, yeah, it's called Highbrow Lowbrow. And I have been this week, Bullfunga, the Unrelenting, and I am Tiberius. Come on, what's his name? Tiresias. Tiresias, old man with wrinkled dugs. Yep. Brow babies, thank you for listening. Next week, probably we'll be back to where we normally are, which is reading probably something in the babysitter's club world who knows where we are now in the timeline um thank you for listening to this pilot it was really fun for me to uh reread this text that i love so much and also to experience this new text i've been jack shepherd you've been tanner Greenring, and i will show you fear in a handful of dust is that from green lantern yeah i don't remember it <laughs> i'm gonna have to trust you good night goodbye Tanner. All right, we're back. Do you want to set up the premise again while I open up Comixology? Okay, so uh, so wait, you want me to tell the brow babies who are already brow babies and are already along for this ride what this podcast is? Just in case one of them like has invited someone along who Oh, someone who just like like maybe that someone just got in the car. Yeah. Okay. You know? Okay. So and they're y- like, "What are you listening to?" and they're like, "Oh, don't worry." They'll explain in a moment. So you think, in your mind, most of our brow babies are like maybe Uber drivers? Sure. Who listen to the podcast, and then who knows when a passenger is going to get in. Right. And they don't want to have to be like, because it's awkward when it's someone you Listen, I live in New York City. I don't drive. You don't want to turn around and be like, hey, uh, where are you headed? Also, we're kind of in the middle of this podcast. Basically, here's the whole concept to catch you up. You just want, we'll do that for them. Let's just do it for him. Okay. Let's set the table. Okay, so I think I think the idea is that We've got comicsology open now, so